is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. The Johnson Johnson vaccine rolled out with a lot of promise. It was the one-and-done shot. Could go a long way to ending the pandemic, but fell out of favor with a lot of people. Temporarily stopped concerns over blood clots. Then there was a quality error in a lab in Baltimore. Well, now there is some good news. The company says its vaccine is 94% effective in preventing severe illness from COVID after a second dose. U.S. is dealing with a shortage of new COVID tests. We'll get into what the problems uh, might be from that. But let's start with Johnson & Johnson's second dose. Dr. Anand Parekh is the chief medical officer of the Bipartisan Policy Center. Dr. Johnson & Johnson was marketed as a one-and-done, but it looks like they are not quite done. Well, I think, you know, the latest news is positive uh, because it shows that uh, a second dose, whether you call it a second dose, you call it a booster, two months or six months after uh, the first dose uh, continues to provide substantial uh, uh, protection against severe illness um, and uh, does rec- does also provide a boost against symptomatic illness. So I think that's positive news. I think the whole rollout of the Johnson Johnson vaccine from months ago, unfortunately, just you know, got off to uh, a bad start. Uh, you know, we had the the brief pause because of the uh, the rare uh, but increased risk side effect of clotting, particularly found in in women under the age of fifty. And then there were issues related to contamination in one of the manufacturing plants. But you're right; this was always touted to be the the the, the one shot. You know, easily uh, and transportable. You can refrigerate it. Um, you know, I, I think we always knew that any vaccine, there'll be some waning in immunity. And I think what we're finding here is um, with the J&J, it, getting a, a second shot uh, may retain that efficacy uh, for a longer period of time. So if they, you know, seek approval for this and it, it goes ahead, do you think there's going to be some reluctance from some people to go and get one because they thought they were going to be done? Or do you think because it did get off uh, to a bad start and had kind of a bad rap, people are going to think, okay, I had a J&J the first time. I don't want it again. Give me Moderna instead. I, I don't think so. I, I hope not. Because again, this is a, this is a overall a safe and effective uh, vaccine, just like Moderna, as well as Pfizer. Uh, just like we're talking about boosters for Pfizer and, and soon with Moderna, uh, uh, you know, I, I think in the same uh, um, realm or, or vein, you know, we can talk about boosters for, for J&J as well. Uh, I think this is just a, another uh, uh, opportunity, another vaccine, particularly for vulnerable Americans. I think we're probably going to start with, with, with those who are elderly, healthcare workers, um, those who are in long-term care facilities, um, I think those are, those are the individuals who are going to need boosters first before anybody else. And I think this is just a, another uh, tool in our toolbox to ensure that individuals who got J&J the first time, now they can get their boost with J&J. We know a little bit less about some of the mix and match strategies. Um, there's some European countries who are looking at this. There's some studies as well in terms of if you get an mRNA vaccine, um, can you can you get your boost with another mRNA vaccine? If you get a J and J vaccine, should your boost be with J and J or another mRNA vaccine? We have to wait a little wise, uh, a little ways for the studies to show, you know, what we do in terms of mix and match. But again, I think overall this is positive. With the one caveat being, unfortunately, we, you know, we hear these news. 
oftentimes during the pandemic, and they come from press releases. And yeah. as great as it, it sounds, like when you hear these numbers from a press release, I think what we've always learned is let's wait for the peer-reviewed published data. Certainly, FDA is going to have to take a look at this. Uh, but you always have to realize that, that when you get these the, the news on the first day, it's from a press release, and, and you have to be a little bit careful in terms of how much you read into it. Well, and, and actually going back to, to the press release, how critical uh, is the timing on this? Because that press release you're referring to was talking about a sort of boost in efficacy for the Johnson & Johnson at two and I think at, at six months. But I know a number of people who have had the J&J vaccine, but it's already uh, at or beyond six months. And that actually goes also for Pfizer and Moderna, because we keep hearing from booster shots six months, eight months. But some people are way past that already. How critical is that timing? Well, I think we're learning more and more about the intervals and the spacing between doses and, and boosters. And there is now you know, uh, um, increasing amount of literature to suggest that if you can increase the time period, you actually might have even more of an effect. And, and even in the press release data, they, they, they looked at two months out after the first dose and then six months out. And six months out, there was even a greater uh, effect in terms of, of increasing levels of, of antibodies there. So I think we're still learning a lot. Um, you know, FDA is going to have to take a look at this very closely, and then, then they'll make a determination as to, you know, the second shot for J&J, &J, uh, you know, what, what's the adequate interval in spacing. Dr. Anand Parekh, Chief Medical Officer of the Bipartisan Policy Center. Coming up after a short break, a COVID test failure. If you're looking for an at-home COVID test, good luck. They've been vanishing from pharmacy shelves and manufacturers warn it will take weeks to boost production. It was cut after demand dropped over the summer. New shortage could impact whether outbreaks can be contained. Places like schools. Dr. Joshua Michaud is Associate Director for Global Health Policy for the Kaiser Family Foundation. Former infectious disease epidemiologist at the Department of Defense. So, Doctor, um, what's the problem in this country getting these tests? Other countries don't seem to have the problems. Yeah, well, uh, the problem is clearly that uh, our demand for these tests has outstripped the supply, at least in the short run. So you may remember back earlier in the summer, uh, cases were really low and uh, compared to they are where they are now. And demand for testing uh, was also low. Uh, and then we had the Delta variant show up and uh, surges in uh, cases. Um, and uh, we've had a spike in cases and therefore a lot more demand for testing recently. Um, but the, the testing uh, kits uh, had been um, sort of cut back on the production. So supply has had a difficult time meeting demand. And so you're seeing the same thing that you saw in your pharmacy in so many places, you know, online in local pharmacies, people having a real hard time finding these rapid at-home diagnostic tests. Do we know how long it's going to take to try and ramp some of this up? I mean, the administration, as Charles was saying, has been talking about getting more. And I guess Abbott says it's trying to make more, but everything takes time. That's right. There's uh, going to be some time before it can be fully ramped up to meet the demand. Uh, and there's been a couple of steps taken in that direction. So uh, for one, the federal government uh, announced that it would be uh, spending uh, $2 billion to purchase uh, something like 280 million uh, more of these tests to really 
uh, have them available and to get those production lines humming again. The companies themselves have done everything they can to start ramping up, but it does take time to get workers back in the factories, uh, get the raw materials in place. Uh, and so other steps that uh, the Biden administration has said it would be taking is to use the Defense Production Act, for example, this law which uh, prioritizes the inputs for the production of these kinds of tests uh, so that the manufacturers can have access to the materials to produce them. But uh, I would expect within the next month or two, uh, there to be a, a greater supply than we're seeing right now. I mean, I was going to say, if the demand is so high, and, and it apparently is, aren't there like a whole bunch of companies trying to compete for that, what it would appear to be a fairly lucrative market, especially if the federal government's going to guarantee purchasing a lot of the units? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, the market here in the United States is a lot less competitive than you might think. There's only a handful of companies that have uh, received FDA uh, authorization uh, for these at-home rapid test kits. You can compare uh, the sort of six or so companies which have this authorization here to the hundreds which have authorization in uh, the European Union, for example. And so a lot more competition, a lot more government support for rapid at-home testing. In fact, in the UK, you know, these tests these rapid tests are, are free, freely available for people to use. Uh, every week they get a certain amount. So uh, here we have just a few suppliers. And so that you know, sort of competition, which you might expect in a totally open market, hasn't quite reached the same level as we see it in other countries. Dr. Joshua Michelle, Associate Director, Global Health Policy, the Kaiser Family Foundation. Some taxi drivers in Thailand are out of work because of the pandemic. Now, they didn't want their cars to go to waste, so they put them to use without driving them. They created rooftop gardens on the top of their cars. They put together miniature gardens using black plastic garbage bags stretched across bamboo frames. On top, they added soil in which crops, including tomatoes, cucumbers, and string beans were planted. The point is to draw attention to the plight of taxi drivers and operators who have been badly hit by coronavirus lockdown measures. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.